0: I ask if you would please to turn to 2nd Timothy in chapter 4, 2nd Timothy in chapter 4, our sermon title this morning is Faithful Ministry with the End Looming Large, Faithful Ministry with the End Looming Large. I bring you greetings in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ from the saints at Providence Village Baptist Church in Lake Butler, Florida. It is my great opportunity, and I thank you for the privilege and honor of being able to be in this pulpit again. It's good to see some familiar faces and to meet some new folks as well. And so I'm very, very thankful to be back here with you and, and grateful to your pastor, whom I love dearly, uh, for the opportunity to speak. So we're in Chapter 4, and I want us to... to If you would, please follow with me as I read. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I'm ready to be already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas in love with this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica, Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds." Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. This is the Lord's word. Let us hear it. May we heed it as well. As you probably know by now, Second Timothy was written while Paul was in prison. We might say that Paul was even on death row as he was preparing to go once again before the judge and before the magistrate. And he was expecting, fully expecting, to be sentenced to death at that time. In fact, he says in verse 6 that... He's being poured out like a drink offering, that like a goblet of wine upon the altar of the Lord. He is being poured slowly over that altar, and the, the dregs are, are, are just finally going over as well, spilling out before the Lord himself, and it's almost empty. He says further that the time of his departure has come. All the tents are being packed up, just as we were at the Southern Baptist Convention the other day on Wednesday afternoon. We saw in the exhibition hall all the books and all of the, the exhibits and everything being packed up, and that meant one thing. It's over. Time to go. The ship's moorings have been loosed, and it's time for Paul to go home. Tradition tells us that Paul is going to be beheaded for his faith under the emperor Nero and just a little bit after this. So what we have in 2 Timothy is some of the last written words of the apostle Paul in his death to a young minister of the next generation, a child in the faith. And we ought to pay attention to the words of dying men because death has a way of sharpening our focus of letting us know what is truly important. Usually the last words are not about the ball game or who got kicked off dancing with the stars last night or anything like that. It's not what's happening in Hollywood. And though Paul is about to go before the judge there in the Roman Empire, it is not that kingdom and not that judge that is on his mind. I want you to notice as we see this, he says in verse 1 that Christ Jesus is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing and his kingdom. In verse 8, Paul calls the Lord the righteous judge. And he speaks of the reward that he will receive on the day presuming when the the Lord returns and consummates his kingdom. Verse 14, he calls upon God, the righteous judge, to repay Alexander the coppersmith for the things that he has done. And in verse 16, he calls on the Lord, the righteous judge, to have mercy on those who did not stand beside him, not charging their sin against him. And in verse 18, he says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. So what we see is that Paul is about to die, and he's speaking to a young child in the faith, and as his race is coming to an end, he recognized that there is a further race that's continuing to go on, and that this is is one where you pass the baton to the next person. As Timothy, he wants to be faithful and to consider that coming day When the whole contest will be over. When God the judge and Christ will come back. He's charging the young Timothy to serve faithfully in light of this end time reality. He wants him. He wants us also to lift our head from this present realities of trials and tribulations, all the obstacles, all the opponents, from the pain and the persecution, and to endure faithfully until the end. We see this summary verse in verse 5. I think in these, in these imperatives in verse 5. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry For Timothy to have a fulfilled, faithful ministry, enduring to the very end, even through hardship and trial, constantly awaiting and on the lookout for the coming again of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he's longing for Timothy to do. He wants him to live his life quorum Deo, in the presence of God, before the very face of God himself. Because when it comes to faithfulness, the only opinion that matters is his, and not anyone else's. Not the opinion of friends or family, not the opinion of judge, not the judgments of critics or culture, not the rulings of the government or the godless. But it is his opinion and his judgment and his ruling that will stand about whether or not we've been faithful. So seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, set your mind on the things that are above, give yourselves faithfully to this because men are dying. Jesus is coming soon. And God will judge the world when he comes. So we're looking at this faithful ministry and we first of all see the task of faithful ministry. The task of faithful ministry is simply this, to preach the word, he says. Preach the word. This is Really, the natural application isn't it, of what has already been said about the Word of God in chapter 3. If the Word of God, all of Scripture is, is God-breathed, it finds its source in the God who cannot lie, it finds its authority in the God who rules over all things. If that's true, if it's able to make the, the simple wise unto salvation, if it is profitable and it's able to equip us for every good work, if the scripture's ability and profitability and sufficiency is so profound, then what else would we preach but the word of God? Preach the word, he tells us. This is what he solemnly charges Timothy to preach. He says, I call upon you to preach the word. And he says, I charge you this in the presence of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no more grave situation, no more solemnity than he could bring to the situation than this one. He says he doesn't care who else is in the room, even if it's Nero himself. You make sure that what you do to be faithful is to be a good steward is to do this before the Lord, before Jesus Christ. You better remember, he says, who you preach in front of. Fear God and not man as you're preaching. And we find some other things about the preacher here that first of all, the preacher must be prepared. He is to be ready, it says. Always be ready to preach. The preacher, secondly, must be persistent. He must be ready in season and out of season. When it's convenient, when it's not convenient, when it's a good time, To preach and when it's not a good time to preach. When people are wanting to hear good preaching and when people are not wanting to hear good preaching. To preach. Persist in this. Don't just preach the word once. Continue to preach the word. Let this be your practice preaching the word of God. He says also that we are to reprove. Which means the preaching of the word must be polemical. It must refute that which is false, and there is certainly in Ephesus, in Ephesus where Timothy is pastoring, there is false teaching going on. He needs to make an argument against that false te- false um, doctrine from the words of God. It needs to be pointed in that the word of God needs to speak to the sins of the people. Reproving and rebuking, being a... Double-edged, sharp sword. What else are you gonna, is going to do that that cuts both ways like the living and active word of God? It is pointed there. He says also, let us reprove, let us rebuke, let us exhort. So the preaching of the word of God must also be prodding. Every now and then, the shepherd needs to goad the sheep. And when he goads the sheep, It must be with the word of God. His authority is the word of God. It must be there. Should be a let us to the preaching, exhorting, encouraging. Let us do this. It says also that he ought to preach the word of God with patience. So it also be patient. Let the word of God do the work of God. Like a river that flows over rocks and only after a long time makes them smooth. That is the word of God that shapes us and molds us into the image of God. Let us be patient with the preaching of the word. And last of all, the preaching of the word, he must be a teacher. He must be a teacher. Explaining and interpreting Doctrine must be a major part of the preacher's content. Before there can ever be application, there must be this explanation, this interpretation of the text. He must understand the text and teach the text in order to exhort the people. He then says, for a time is coming... A time is coming. What was only predicted in Timothy's day is present in our day, is it not? This time is, that is coming when people will turn away from sound teaching and having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, it is here. Bible preaching today is not popular. Bible preaching today is not preferred by most. It's considered passé by many They will not endure, it says. They will turn away. They will wander off. The point that he's saying here is that people will come and they will sit for a little while perhaps under Bible preaching. But they won't endure under it. They can't continue under it. They will turn away from it ultimately. They might come and stay for a little while, but they won't stay till the end. And it's not because they turn their backs on religion or church altogether. They continue to be very religious. They just don't want to hear Bible preaching. They'll find hearing preaching of some sort, but it is preaching that will suit their ears and tickle their fancies. They've become consumers. They're church shoppers and church hoppers so that they suit fine for themselves a preacher that will tell them what they want to hear. What they're looking for, who's going to scratch their itching ears and tickle their fancy. What they want is not biblical truth. Instead, they they want lies. Lies that will suit their likes and their loves. So in this passage, the task of faithful ministry is to preach the word. And it's clear that the preacher, the application is for him simply to preach the word. He's given this solemn charge to preach the word amidst this stubborn climate. He's to preach the word even though the majority of the people don't want to hear the word. the temptation of a preacher in a climate such as that is to give the people what they want instead of what they need. The temptation is to go away from Bible preaching because that will keep them coming and that will keep them happy. But the preacher can't do that, can he? He's a servant of God he can't be a pleaser of men. So it's clear what this means for the preacher. But what does this mean for you? It means this is what you must demand of your preacher. That he preach the word. That he tell you what you need. Rather than perhaps what your, what your carnal flesh may want. It's a reminder that you must not be these people who wander off in the mist. You must not be those whose wants their ears tickled, who who wants to hear what they want to hear and who uh, won't endure sound teaching, you must love sound teaching and sound doctrine and be someone who cultivates an appetite for Bible preaching because the, the minister must, in the, just as Jesus said to Peter, the minister must feed the sheep and tend the lambs. Let them graze upon the word of God. This is not a day for Christianity light, and for diet scripture. Sermonets make Christianettes. These are perilous days that we live in, and we don't want mat Christians. We want robust, sound, doctrinally believing, Bible loving Christians that are ready to face persecution. Ready to endure trials, ready to face death itself. We need that. We're desperate for that. Preaching anything but the Word of God will not prepare people for that. We must stay anchored in the Word of God. Secondly, I want you to look at the recognition of faithful ministry. The recognition of faithful ministry there in verses 6 through 8. He says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing." So Paul, again, as we stated at the beginning, he's realizing that the end is coming soon, and, but also that he's accomplished his goal, his race is run. He's kept the faith, he's believed rightly, he's behaved faithfully. So he compares himself to an athlete in the ancient games as one whose contest has come to an end, and he's rounding the last bend of the 26-mile race, if you will. The grueling marathon of life and Christian ministry is over. And so he says, because of this, because he's finished, because he's kept the faith, because he's fought the good fight, it's a reminder to us, is it not, that saving faith is a persevering faith. You're saved by faith alone, but that faith that saves perseveres to the very end. The true Christian doesn't go off like a rocket only to come crashing down later. He doesn't shoot up like a weed and yet never bear fruit. That's not the true Christian. The true Christian is not someone who walked an aisle once and signed a card or even someone who got baptized. Christianity is not about starting well but about ending well. The true Christian keeps the faith because he is kept in the faith. And just as any athlete that runs in the games and wins in the ancient games receives a crown which is made out of laurel, there is also a reward for the believer. Believer's crown is not made out of laurel, however. It's not fading like that. It's out of righteousness which does not fade. Do you remember when in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness? That's what theologians call imputed righteousness, in that the righteousness was counted to Abraham. It was an accounting term, counted to Abraham by his faith. It's not Abraham's righteousness, it was an alien righteousness from outside of Abraham and counted to his account. You and I that believe every one of us who have had saving fast, are now counted righteous in Christ. It's called being justified. God, the righteous judge, bangs the gavel and declares us righteous, not on the basis of our own personal righteousness, but on the righteousness of Jesus Christ and his goodness. You're right in right standing before him. And yet, we like Paul in Romans 7, don't do the good that we'd like to do. And we call out with Paul, Oh, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who will deliver me from this flesh? I still continue to struggle with sin, do you? And yet, the one who endures in faith to the end receives a crown of righteousness. This time, it's not a declaration that you're righteous, you're made righteous. It's not imputed righteousness that we're talking about. It's imparted righteousness that you're given. So that when you choose and when you act, you act righteously. Because of Christ. Some would say this doesn't sound very much like Paul. It sounds like you have to do in order to get. It's not what he's saying at all. This only comes by faith, but indeed, this is a, a faith that perseveres. Something that Christ has accomplished. And he will award to me, Paul says, on that day, presumably when Christ comes. And not only to me, but to also who have loved his appearing. I'm so glad they added that last part. Is that you? Are you looking for the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ? and longing for that, and loving that. Is that, is that what your, your life's trajectory is towards? Because a righteous crown is laid up for you by the righteous judge. If that's the case, this passage makes clear of that. See, the good news for us is that presently we're rescued from the penalty of sin And that also, if you're a believer in Christ, you're presently rescued from the power of sin in that it has no dominion over you. You don't have to obey its commands anymore. You were totally depraved. You're not totally depraved anymore. You've been redeemed. And you can obey. But still we fail, don't we? On that day, we'll not be just rescued from the penalty and the power of sin, but from the presence of sin altogether. will be made righteous like him. Thirdly, I want you to see the pain of faithful ministry. He tells us in verse 5 to endure hardship, endure suffering. And obviously, given the context, Paul is in chains facing his impending martyrdom. Not all ministers will be martyred for their faith, and not all will be even thrown in jail for their faith, but we see his example that's there. We notice that he is facing persecution and hardship, and obviously there is pain involved in that. It's not a situation that he prefers. But he goes on to say that that's not just it. He's begging Timothy to come to him soon. Why? Because he's been deserted by Demas. Demas in Colossians and Philippians, Phile- Philemon was mentioned as a faithful and useful gospel partner along with Paul. But now Demas has become in love with this world and has deserted Paul because he's been seduced by the lies of materialism and the pleasures that this world has to offer. And Demas has left the faith and shown himself never to have been saved at all. Perhaps there's no greater pain in ministry than someone that you counted a friend and worked alongside when they leave the faith altogether and walk away and desert and stab you in the back and walk away from Christ. Demas loved this present world but we're called to love his appearing. The appearing of Christ. Which is true of you. You can't love both. Not only is that true, but Paul said he had to send Crescens to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Tychicus, he sent on to Ephesus. One of the things about having a faithful ministry is you you see these brothers that are raised up and you invest your life in them and God's using them for ministry and that gives you great joy. But the pain of the faithful ministry is you have to send them away at times. You have to send them to do other things, what God would have them to do, and you rejoice in that, and yet it hurts. There's pain in that. Paul says only Luke is with him, and that certainly is a comfort, but also we're reminded that Luke is the beloved physician, and one of the reasons that Luke is with Paul is because Paul's not in good health, and he has pain. he talks about Mark there get Mark and bring him with you so this is a blessed passage because he says for he is very useful to me in ministry but it is a reminder of a past pain because Paul and Barnabas went on their first mission trip together and they took John Mark young John Mark with them and at some point whether he got homesick or whatever he walked away from them and deserted them while they were on the mission trip. He went back home. And the next time that they were going out to do ministry on a mission trip, Barnabas said, let's bring John Mark again. I think he's gotten older. He's going to be better. Paul says, absolutely not. And they had what the Bible says is a sharp dispute between the two of them. And it ended up that they broke up. Barnabas went off with John Mark, and Paul took Silas and And so the Lord now has two missionary teams instead of one. But there was a sharp dispute between two brothers. And now, though, he looks at John Mark's life and that which he had deemed unuseful in the past, he now says, he's useful to me in ministry. Bring him along, please. I need Mark. More than that, he... He's cold, winter is coming, and he got arrested without a coat. And he's asking him to bring the coat, the cloak that he, that he had, and to make every effort to come before winter. The burden of all the churches is upon him, especially he's considering Ephesus where Timothy is, and he's, he's writing to them about all the things that are going on. He's concerned for young Timothy and his timidity and his fear and, and the false teaching that's going on there in Ephesus. And not only that, he mentions Alexander the coppersmith who did him great harm. And he said, beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. We don't know all the details here. Probably it's the same Alexander that's mentioned in 1 Timothy along with Hymenaeus. Maybe it's the same Alexander that's mentioned in Acts That is a a metal worker there. It seems perhaps this was a person who is a, a case of church discipline that's gone bad. He was excommunicated from the church and handed over Satan. And for whatever reason, he may have been the one who had Paul arrested. And he's done great harm upon him. Not only all of this has happened to him, but he says... At my first defense, in verse 16, no one came to stand by me. So when he went to court, the church let him down. He had no advocate. No one who was willing to stand alongside him, perhaps for fear of being thrown in prison themselves. But like the Lord Jesus from the cross, he says, may it not be charged against them. Every one of them deserted him. And so there are times when church lets us down. The, the world comes after us to persecute us. We may have various health problems. And uh, Paul is, of course, imprisoned and suffering martyrdom and has had just the pain of, of relationships that have gone bad and, and those that have deserted him and those that just aren't there to comfort him. And there's pain in the faithful ministry. And we're promised that there will be one. All who desire to live godly lives, it tells us in 2 Timothy 3, they'll face persecution. There's going to be pain there. Fourthly, I want you to see the, the confidence that we have in faithful ministry. Though everyone deserted him, the Lord stood by him. The Lord strengthened him so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. He's assured and he's confident that though they may kill his body, the Lord will rescue him and he'll stand Eternally in the presence of the Lord. They cannot take his soul. They cannot hurt him. He who began a good work in him will carry it out to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. Would you join me as we go to the Lord in prayer? Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for this blessed opportunity to preach here at First Baptist Keller. We pray, Lord, that you would make us faithful. Help us, O Lord to live our lives in your presence, in the light of your coming, anticipating, eagerly expecting, loving your kingdom being established and consummated. And even so, we pray with the Spirit and the Bride to come, Lord Jesus, and come quickly. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.